as I get set up here, um, I'm trying to figure out, figure out, Kelvin, why I wasn't invited to be a marriage mentor. I think I have a great marriage, but, uh, but apparently not. Um, wor- wor- worship team, yes, thank you. Worship team, that was beautiful. I don't know if we even need a sermon at this point. That was an absolutely glorious worship set. Um, first, I want to say thank you to everyone uh, who offered their um, encouragement, albeit unsolicited, about my evolving facial hair. Um, um, I- I've never been called Mario or Luigi in my life, so, so thank you. And... Um, so I don't have to answer these questions anymore. Um, I want to put these two to, to, to rest right now, once and for all. Uh, one, yes, I know that mustaches have not been cool since Tom Selleck rocked him in the 1980s. And two, no, I did not lose a bet. Uh, good morning, church. Uh, welcome, guests. Uh, each week I get up here and I get to do announcements. And one of my very favorite parts of doing announcements is welcoming our guests. Um, Beth said, already said it, and I want to reiterate, if you are a guest, you truly are the most privileged person on our campus. Well, you plus Marilyn Henney, but as a guest, you are so welcome here. There are a lot of great churches here in Colorado Springs, and we are honored that you would choose to worship with us today. You have walked into a church that is filled with love, that is filled with grace, that is filled with hospitality. Um, we are not a perfect church, and we know it. We are not a perfect people, and we know it. But if you're looking for a perfectly imperfect place to grow in your faith, to be received in love, you have walked into a great place. You should also know, if you're a guest, that I'm not the normal full-time preacher. So if you hate this sermon, do not judge this church based on what's about to happen. Uh, Our lead pastor, uh, Pastor Eric Carpenter, is away in Missouri uh, this week and taking his oldest son uh, to college. So you can pray for him because that's both filled with excitement and a genuine heartbreak. He will be back next week, and he will be teaching a three-week series uh, that launches us into our vision. We as a staff and as a consistory, elders and deacons, are very excited for what's about to happen. Please come back. Please bring, bring your friends. We want you to hear from his heart and mind what is really the fruit of years and years of labor and study. Um, Let's turn to the source of hope, our hope, and open in prayer. Sweet Jesus, we thank you for this day. We come before you as a people in awe of your glory and in need of your direction. Thank you that you are a God of love and compassion, a God of wisdom, a God of hope, and a God of peace. We know that you are the real teacher, that all of us, even me as I open your word before these people, sit at your feet. So we say, come Holy Spirit, instruct our hearts, instruct our minds, lead our hands and feet to action. It is in your precious name that we pray. Amen. In case you haven't noticed, Uh, our world um, is in a serious lack of peace. And there's nothing like preparing a sermon on peace than starting back to school. My house was not a house of peace this week. Not my fault, it's my kids. They've got major, major issues. (laughs) And I love them to death. And then walking around the sanctuary this morning, I'm excited to get up here. I'm not a preacher, but I do think God's given me something to share this morning. Walking around this morning and talking with you, dear friends, the saints of this church, 
I heard lots of stories of a lack of peace. Lack of financial peace, a lack of physical peace, a lack of relational peace. We look outside our world and we see the brokenness of it and we know that this is not a world filled with peace. And so we ask, what are we to do? Uh, your sermon notes say that um, our, our passage will come from Luke 9. Um, actually, we're going to study two parallel passages. Uh, the first is from Luke chapter 9, where Jesus sends out his 12 disciples. The second is one chapter over in Luke 10, where Jesus sends out the 72. This is a larger group who aren't exactly apostles, but we can consider them disciples because they sat under the teaching of Jesus. Jesus sends both groups out in similar ways, with similar cautions, with equal empowerment, and for the same purpose. Now, you are welcome to turn to, to Luke chapter 9. There's a Bible um, in the, that should be in the chair in front of you. But you're also welcome to just sit and listen. Sometimes there's, there's something that's really special that happens that's significant when we just listen to Scripture be read over us. As a side note, uh, Beth, our worship pastor, did that for us as a staff this week. She read Scripture over us, and it was remarkable. Um, if you're looking for a, a spiritual uh, mentor, a spiritual director, uh, Beth is exceptionally guided, uh, gifted at that. You should seek her out. She didn't know I was going to say that, but she's very, very talented at that. Um, you might even want to close your eyes. I want you to imagine Jesus talking. I want you to hear these words uh, for his disciples, but I also want you to hear them for yourself. The words that were true for the original audience are also true for us. So let's start with Luke 9, uh, beginning with verse 1. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all the demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now turn one chapter over to, to Luke chapter 10, and you'll see a parallel passage that expands on what Jesus is asking when he sends out the 72. This time, notice, though, he includes the word peace. Luke 10, starting in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. 
Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near to you. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. The word of God, the gospel according to Luke. What do we see in these two passages? Well, we see a lot of things, and this is what can make preaching difficult at times. Because there are so many different directions you can take a passage of scripture. When I'm preparing for a sermon, I like to ask a very basic question of God. I say, God, what is it that you want our people to hear? Where is your spirit taking us? And so as I studied this past week, um, I think God brought my heart and mind to a place of clarity for us. The first thing that stands out is Jesus is sending his people out. He's not calling them to stay somewhere safe. He's saying, he's not saying, stay here with me. I've rescued you. I've protected you. Stay, stay, stay. Instead, he's saying to leave the place of comfort and go out before him. Luke 9, 2, and he sent them out. Luke 10, 3, go, I am sending you out. And he's not sending them out into an easy situation. He's not sending them off to vacation. He's sending them out like lambs among wolves. In my mind, that's a terrible image, isn't it? Can you picture, can you close your eyes and picture a lamb being pushed out of the comfort of the shepherd's care and protection so that it might confront wolves? The lamb does not stand a chance. The first several times I read this passage, I had a hard time feeling any hope. The task seemed daunting, unsafe almost. As lambs among wolves, without any provisions, at the mercy of an unknown people, seriously, God? Does the lamb stand a chance? Is this really prudent? Shouldn't we take something like maybe one t-shirt or a canteen of water Or perhaps a sword, just in case. But as I read uh, the passage over and over, it became clear that Jesus wasn't sending his people unarmed. He was sending them out with a mission as arbiters of the kingdom. Not as conquering heroes and conquering kings, but as suffering servants. So I think there are three points God wants us to focus on. The first is that we have a peace to share with a world that needs it. We have a peace to share with a world that needs it. It's missional. Luke 10, 5. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. Jesus does not tell them to plead with the house, to ask for safety, for the lamb to ask the wolf to be kind, but instead to bring a message of peace. Jesus goes on to say that if they are not a person of peace, then the peace you offer them will be given back to you. It will return to you. That the responsibility of the disciples is nothing more than offering peace in an uncertain situation. 
I think this is pretty incredible. Jesus does not say to wow them with your wisdom or in boldness try to convict them or convince them of their need for God. He says to offer them peace. Look at the world we live in. Is it not an absolute desperate need for peace? God made the world for peace, and yet we've turned peace into war. Listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah. He will judge disputes between nations. He will settle cases for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up the sword against other nations, and they will no longer train for war. The Institute for Economics and Peace, uh, an independent, nonpartisan, nonprofit think tank, uh, published uh, a findings called the Global Peace Index in 2016. Here are some of the report's findings. I, I think they're, they're shocking and heartbreaking. Currently, there are only 10 nations in the whole world that aren't at some form of war. The entire world, 10 nations. Over the past 10 years, 81 countries have become more peaceful, and 79 countries have become more peaceful. 101,000 deaths in battle, an increase from 19,000 in 2008. That's five times as many deaths due to war. The United Nations Refugee Agency recorded 57 million refugees, displaced peoples, and other people of concern. And listen to this economic number. Violent crimes cost uh, almost $1,900 for every person in the world. A total of $13.6 trillion of negative world economic activity. We read the headlines, we know our own lives. The world is not at peace. The message Jesus sends us out with is one of peace. He tells us, take nothing but that message into the world. Take nothing but the message of peace out into this broken and fractured world. The second point I believe God has for us is that we have supernatural resources that equip us for what he is calling to. We have supernatural resources that God has given to us. Luke 9, 3. Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. And in Luke 10, 4. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. That's great, Jesus. Send us out as lambs among wolves armed with nothing. But he did give them something. And he does give us something, or more accurately, someone Luke 9.1, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority. Luke 10.9, I have equipped you to heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. If you've been paying attention during the series, you have heard Pastor Eric say every week that the kingdom of God is built on the promise of the Holy Spirit leading, guiding, and empowering our lives, first unto salvation and then unto the work he has prepared from the beginning of time for us to do. From the beginning, God has been a God of peace. It's what the Holy Spirit has been working for since the very beginning. The peace of God permeates the narrative arc of Scripture at every point. It's what the Spirit inspired in the Old Testament 
and the New Testament. Listen to the writers. Proverbs 12.20 Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. Proverbs 16.7 When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, he causes our enemies to make peace with them. Psalm 29.11 The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Psalm 119.165 Great peace have those who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 26, 3, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Isaiah 26, 12, Lord, you established peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Isaiah 54, 10, though the mountains be shaken and the hills removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Isaiah 55, 12, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into psalm before you, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Do you give up yet? Do you see it? Peace is a big deal to God, and not just in the Old Testament. Listen to the New Testament writers. Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Hebrews 12.14, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 1 Peter 3.11, They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. James 3.18, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You are not unequipped. You are not unalone. Yes, Jesus sends his disciples out as lambs among wolves. Yet Jesus sends us out with his Holy Spirit who lives in us and empowers us for great works. We have the full breadth of Scripture that undergirds everything we do. This is the promise of God to us all and to all of His creation. And then the third point I think God wants to share with us this morning. If you've been checking email, if you've been playing Angry Birds up to this point, this is the point I most want you to hear. So listen, listen now. Christ is building His church. It is not a church of power or empire or colonization. It is a church of peace, of service, of surrender. There is something truly remarkable in our passage that's easy to miss if we're not careful. In Luke 10, 12, Jesus tells us what type of peace he is looking for. But it doesn't seem like it when you first read it. He tells us 72 that there will be towns who reject, who reject their offer of peace. That their concern isn't for the kingdom, but for their right to do things their own way. He offers a warning that demonstrates what type of peace he wants for the world. Did you miss these words when he says, I tell you, 
it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town, that town that rejects the offer of peace. So the inclusion of Sodom is incredibly interesting to me. Uh, there is much, there's much that was wrong with Sodom, the ancient city of Sodom. It was a powerful city that had given itself over to debasement, no question. We have come to a popular understanding, though, that God destroyed, destroyed Sodom over her sexual sin. But that's only part of the story. Listen to the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel 16, 49 through 50. The sin of your sister Sodom was this. She lived with her daughters in the lap of luxury, proud, gluttonous, and lazy. They ignored the oppressed and the poor. They put on airs and lived obscene lives. And you know what happened? I did away with them. Do you get it? Do you see it? The problem of Sodom, do you see it? Is that it was the antithesis of the kingdom of God because it only cared for itself at the neglect of the oppressed and the poor. Jesus is warning us here that a concern for only our peace will be dealt with harshly. Martin Luther King Jr. said, true peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is a presence of justice. I think we want a type of peace that removes any type of conflict, that removes any type of tension. What Reverend King is offering is something different. There can be no peace without also being justice for the oppressed. Your private peace and comfort are not true peace when others are suffering. Your private peace and comfort are not true peace when others are suffering. Whether in your own backyard of Colorado Springs, in the streets of Charlottesville, Virginia, or halfway around the world in war-torn Syria. Friends, hear me now. Peace that leaves me protected and the most vulnerable unprotected is not peace. It's a selfish surrogate, an imitation, a shadow of the real thing. If we seek a peace that serves our needs at the expense of others, we have made the heir of sectarianism. And we're not being called to sectarianism. We're being called to death, to lay down our lives for one another, to be champions of peace through justice. James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's peace. Truly, truly, truly caring for the distressed. That's what God is empowering us for. Uh, when, while elaborating on loving one's neighbor, apologist Michael Ramsden spoke of a colleague who, while in Asia, asked his audience to close their eyes and imagine peace. Now, Michael Ramsden, he comes to Colorado Springs every once in a while. A few years ago, I got to host him. Fascinating man, brilliant man, Oxford scholar. And he tells this story. He asks uh, his audience to close their eyes and imagine peace. And you can do it right alongside them. After a few seconds, the audience was invited to share their mental pictures of peace. One person described a field with flowers and beautiful trees. 
Another person spoke of snow-capped mountains and an incredible alpine landscape. Still another described the scene of a beautiful still lake. After everyone described their mental picture of peace, there was one thing common in all of them. There were no people. Ramsden commented, isn't it interesting when asked to imagine peace, the first thing we do is eliminate everyone else. What does your image of peace look like? Are there others there who don't look like you, but are in desperate need of the same hope and peace you yearn for? This call to the message of peace that we are empowered in by the Holy Spirit is inextricably linked to justice. So when we say we are being formed into a people of peace, we must know that it's for all people. If we get it, if we understand what Jesus is saying in these two passages, we will understand that the cost is our entire lives as we work tirelessly to bring all people into the kingdom. So when Jesus says, go, go as lambs who are before wolves, take nothing. I am with you. I have empowered you. He's saying, give everything. His spirit, his word will empower us. Now, worship team, you can return to the stage as I move to our conclusion. One of the most important things you can do as you strive to become a person of peace, as we strive as a congregation to be a congregation of peace, is to spend time in the Word. Um, I could not be more excited for what we are about to do as a congregation in the fall. Uh, in your bulletin, you have a flyer um, that details our fall campaign. We're calling it Immerse Messiah. Together as a congregation, we are going to spend eight weeks going through a community Bible experience where we read the entire New Testament together, discuss it in a small group format, more like a book club, uh, and allow ourselves to be shaped both by the Word of God and the experience of community. For those eight weeks, all of our church programming is going to revolve around this experience. All of women's ministry and students' ministry and men's ministry, our teaching ministry, our kingdom life groups, everything we're going to do will revolve around experiencing this. Now, if, if you're part of an existing uh, kingdom life group, maybe you meet once a month or maybe you meet twice a month, we're going to ask you to do something different for those eight weeks. We're going to ask you to come together every single week. There's a lot of objections to that. Perhaps we all have busy lives. But for this one season in life, let's come together and experience the Word of God in community. This is where our peace will come from. If you're not currently in a small group, in a kingdom life group, we're going to be starting and forming dozens of them. Some of them will meet here on campus. Some of them will meet in the homes uh, of our people. Some of them will even meet in, uh, in coffee shops and if you're lucky, maybe in a bar. But we're going to do everything we can to come together to experience God's word in community. I really think that one of the most formative things we can do as a congregation is this experience. We'll be talking a lot more about it over the upcoming weeks. Eric will unpack some of it uh, in his vision messages in the upcoming three weeks. But right now, I'm really hoping you'll make a commitment to at least think about doing it before making your ultimate commitment. 
so what? Why does any of this matter? Jesus tells us he will send us out. We will be going into a hostile land in a hostile culture. He will give us the message of peace that prepares the way for the kingdom. He will equip supernaturally with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And that in his faithfulness, he will form us and shape us into a people of peace. For some of us, that sitting out will be into difficult marriages and broken relationships where you bring a spirit of peace. For others, it will be into the work environment where we, be, where we will be a people of peace in the boardrooms, the manufacturing uh, floors, on sales floors. For some, it might mean a vocational shift. Maybe you'll be called to, to ministry, to missions work. And I think for all of us, and this is true for me, I think the call to peace will first be between me and my heart and God. I have spent so much of my adult life at war with God, even in my best moments. Part of what I think God's saying to us right now, and I hope you hear this from him if it's truly for your ears and your heart, is that he wants peace between you and him. And when he does that, and when you submit to it and surrender to it, he will then use you as a vessel to create peace with the world. Our written kingdom vision that animates everything we do here at this church is this. We are joining the Father in the restoration of all things through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's what a people of peace looks like. Joining the Father, restoring brokenness and injustice, living in the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the power of God, the peace of God in us, upon us, flowing out through us into this broken world. Jesus, we pray, have your way with us. Amen and amen. Let's stand together and respond in song.